So I'm from, I'm from Minnesota, which is right here in the upper middle of the United States. We have a lot of lakes, pretty much looks like this. Um, so thanks for having me. I, I wanted to say, obviously everybody's familiar with the Charlie Gard case, right? And I just want to use this as a transition point, right? Because the key thing that the parents wanted to do was, of course, take him to the United States, right? Um, uh, why, why did they want to do that? Why the United States? Um, well, what was off, the explanation that was often given is because they'll do anything, right? They'll, they'll try anything in the United States. And there's some truth to that. Um, we actually have quite a, diff a lot of difficulty saying no. Um, so generally, we don't actually have a lot of rationing of anything in healthcare. Um, in fact, just a few days ago, President Trump signed a right to try law, which basically gives uh, U.S. citizens greater access to non-approved experimental therapies, pretty much like the one that Gard was seeking. Um, so basically, the only thing that we really do ration is human organs, and that's, that is what I'm going to talk about. Here's my roadmap in four parts. Um, I want to first just, and people are obviously familiar with this, but I wanted to say, give a big background on what the scarcity of organs, uh, the structure of the U.S. organ allocation system, the principles by which we allocate organs, and then the process by which we allocate organs. And I just want to focus on three, livers, lungs, and kidneys. Okay, so, so scarcity. Um, we did, in the last 30 years, we've transplanted 722,000 organs. Uh, just last year, we broke a record, so it was a record-breaking year. Um, we had more than 10,000 donors. Uh, from those 10,000, we never had 10,000 before. From those 10,000 donors, we transplanted 35,000 uh, organs, because, of course, any one individual donor can donate up to eight organs, deceased donors. Um, so those are impressive numbers, I think. In fact, they, they are significantly more impressive than the UK numbers, which has a much lower uh, per capita donation rate than the United States. Nevertheless, um, of course, it's not, it's not enough, right? There's a wide gap between this black line, which is the number of transplants that we're doing, and this red line up there, which is the number that are needed by patients. So we are definitely falling short. 35,000 transplants is great, but we need 115,000. So the supply is far less uh, uh, than the demand. So let me just quickly focus on both sides, uh, starting with supply first. So we, we did 35,000 transplants, 29,000 of those organs came from deceased donors, and 6,000 came from living donors. Living donors are usually almost always directed, and they're usually directed uh, to a family member. So I'm going to put those aside, and when I talk about how we allocate organs, I'm going to talk about deceased donors. Um, where do we get deceased donor organs from? I'm not going to talk too much about this. We have an opt-in system. Uh, I guess that contrasts with Wales. We are innovating on ways to increase the supply. We just started uh, doing HIV-positive transplants, so if you're HIV-positive donor, they can give to an HIV-positive patient. Um, and we're doing a lot of other things. Of course, like other countries, we're thinking about opt-out mechanisms and other sorts of things. Uh, I'm not going to talk about that because even with all, the, all that, supply basically has remained and is remaining flat. Um, right, so we're, we're, we just haven't been increasing the supply of human organs. There are some reasons to think that 2018 actually is going to be another record year, and that's because in the United States we have an, an incredible opioid overdose epidemic which, of course, is tragic, but actually is producing a lot more organ donors. Um, there's also actually a reason to think that it might, be, it might go down 
this year. Um, and that's because almost <coughs> all donors, um, we have some do donation after cardiac death, but almost all donation is after brain death. We just celebrated the 50-year anniversary of the brain death diagnosis in the United States. Actually, I'm really pleased to say for eight days, this was the most popular medical journal article on earth. Um, but, um, but the basic point I wanted to say is the, the concept and the diagnosis and the legitimacy of brain death as a diagnosis is coming under a lot of attack in the United States, and that may decrease the organ donation rate. Okay, so let me turn from supply to demand, right? Like I said, there's 115,000 people on the waiting list. If we break that down by organ type, most of those are kidney, 95,000 of those are, are kidneys, followed by livers, followed by the other organs. Um, and then you can see each or, organ by organ that there's a shortfall between the number that are demanded and the number that are being transplanted. Um, and of course, if there aren't enough organs, that means you're going to have to wait. Um, and so at least for kidneys, where the shortfall is gigantic, um, the, the wait can be up to five years. For other organs, <coughs> it, it could be up to a year. Um, of course, these people, many of them can't wait that long to get their organs. So we have about 20 people dying every day uh, while waiting for an organ transplant. We're not short on all organs. Um, we actually just started doing penis transplants. Um, so not, we're not short on all organs, but I'm going to focus on the ones for which there is scarcity. My wife said, eh, I don't know. OK. But so that's the scarcity of deceased uh, donor organs. Um, so obviously what we want to focus on is how they are allocated. So let me first give you a brief synopsis of the structure of the system in the United States. Almost everything in the United States that relates to healthcare is at the state level. Um, but, but this, organ allocation, is regulated at the federal level. That started in 1984, and that, of course, maybe seems like an ominous year for the federal government to take control of the organ allocation system. Um, but, but there's a reason for that, because in 1983, the year before, is when the FDA approved cyclosporin, which, which of course, is uh, immunosuppressant, which really expanded um, the ability to do successful organ transplants. So in 1984, uh, Congress says, look, the, the, these, this is a national resource, this is public good. So they enact the National Organ Transplant Act to streamline the organ distribution process. Um, and it establishes this thing called the Organ Procurement and Transplantation Network. It has two roles, uh, maintain the list of people that need transplants, and then when organs become available, match the available organ to the people on the list. This, this is actually not done directly by the federal government. Um, the government contracts with a nonprofit, you know, independent organization, and that's called UNO, United Network for Organ Sharing, uh, UNOS. UNOS does the rationing, and basically everything we're going to talk about for the rest of the time is going to be what UNOS does. Uh, so UNOS runs this network, organ transplantation network. Um, there's two other key players in the network other than UNOS itself. One is we have 58 OPOs, organ procurement organizations. These are the organizations that literally will go to the hospital to collect the organ and then get it to the, the, the patient that's going to get it. Um, and then we also have 250 transplant centers, <clears throat> usually hospital-based, of course. So let me just walk through how this works real quick. Um, you have a candidate, right? So you go to your doctor, <coughs> and, and your doctor determines that you may need an organ, uh, refers you to a transplant center. The transplant center evaluates you, and they're, of course, going to look at your medical condition. They're also going to look at your family support situation and your financial situation. Um, organ transplants are very expensive. It's going to cost about $600,000 plus another $7,000 a month 
a lot of people can't afford that. It's not going to be completely covered by insurance. Um, and therefore, a lot of people are going to lack access to the waiting list, right? So the transplant center isn't even going to put you onto the list. What I want to focus on is how UNOS allocates organs to the people on the list. So just want to recognize that there are people, and actually the, um, the talk about individual behavior, there are going to be people for, for behavior reasons, alcohol, oh, that was the quiz, right? The, the poll was about the, that, th those people aren't even going to get on the list. They're going to be screened out by the transplant center. So when I talk about what UNOS does, UNOS allocates organs to the people who actually got onto the list, but not everybody gets onto the list. Assuming that they determine that you're a good candidate medically and you can afford it, they'll add, the transplant center will add you to the list. By the way, you guys can be added to the list. Um, we don't, there's no, there's no citizenship requirement. About 1% of our list is non-U.S. So, turning from the candidate to the donor, um, if you have somebody who is about to die in your hospital, you must, you must notify your local organ procurement organization that you may have an available organ. The OPO will then talk to that patient's family, obtain consent for the transplant. If they get the consent, they're going to you know, obviously obtain all the information about the donor um, and upload that into the UNOS computer system. And then the computer, using a lot of algorithms, is going to then match that with uh, candidates. Um, and then it produces a ranked list. And that's what we're going to talk about is what are the factors that determine the ranking. Um, then whoever's at the top of the list, they'll call that transplant center and say, your patient is at the top of the list. Get them in. Um, so what determines the ranking? Well, UNOS um, can't do whatever it wants, even though it's private. It has, the government says there are some rules you have to follow. Um, and the two main policies are ones that have already been brought up. The first is they must achieve the best use of donated organs, which is basically talking about utility or efficiency. And then the other thing that UNOS must do is promote patient access to transplantation, which sort of is talking about equality, justice, and fairness. So in terms of utility, we're absolutely not interested um, in maximizing social benefit. So we're not going to give the organs to an architect instead of a priest or whatever the right, uh, because we, we actually have a, a history of having done that, and it worked out really, really poor, because which one is going to produce more social benefit, nobody knows. So we really just focus on medical benefit. And normally, that gets translated into the life years gained or qualities. Um, but of course, utility is not the only allocation principle. We, UNOS also has to respect justice. So it, it, has to, it's, it has a duty to minimize disparities among similarly situated candidates. Um, of course, these two principles, and this came up in, in Julian's talk, are, are going to conflict. Um, for example, one principle of justice is we might give the organs to the person who most urgently needs it. Okay, that, we just, that's, that's the principle on which we do it. Uh, but that's not, gonna, that's not gonna do well in terms of utility because if you're that sick that you most urgently need it, then you're often not gonna be the person who's gonna live the longest or, with that organ. Similarly, we could use a waiting list, a queue, um, we could give the organ to the person who's been waiting the longest, but again, just because they've been waiting the longest doesn't mean that they're the person uh, that's going to benefit the most. In fact, there's reason to think that they are exactly not the person that's going to benefit the most. Flipping it around, we could focus on utility and allocate the organs in the way that's going to produce the most qualities, but in general, that's going to disfavor the elderly because they're just not going to live as long if we give them an organ. So that's, that will do well on utility, but it's going to do poor in terms of justice, because we're going to treat people 
with different ages inequitably. UNOS has to honor both principles. Um, so we absolutely, and you're going to see this when I go through the organs right now, we absolutely do not allocate organs to produce the maximum medical good. Uh, because we're concerned not only with the amount of good, um, but with also how the good is distributed across the population. So here's the process, and I'm going to take these three organs. Um, I, I do want to note that children absolutely get preferential special treatment across for all organs. I'm not going to talk about children, I'm just going to put children aside. Okay, so we're going to just walk through three organs to see how this works. Um, livers, lungs, and kidneys. So, in terms of livers, of course, again, there's, a, there's, a, there's way more candidates that look waiting for livers than there are available livers. Before 2002, we allocated livers based on wait time. So, it, the first person who has got to the wait list first is the person that's going to get the next available liver. Uh, so, it used to just be a Q method of allocation. <coughs> that allocation method basically prioritizes justice way, way higher than the principle of utility. After 2002, we now allocate livers based on need, okay, instead of wait time. Actually, that still hasn't changed the justice-utility trade-off, because that's still a principle of justice. We've just changed our notion of justice. Uh, it's just a different notion of justice. Instead of wait time, it's medical need. Um, and the way that we determine medical need is through, the, is through MEL, the Model for End-Stage Liver Disease. It's basically a score that measures how urgently you need a liver transplant in the next three months. There are calculators that you can just pull right off the UNOS website and type in the patient's information and it'll give you a MELD score. The MELD scores run from 6 to 40, so if you're sick, low score, you're less ill, higher score, you're more ill. So if you have a 35 MELD, you're probably in the ICU. But if you have just a 25, then you're probably still kicking around at home. So basically, the highest meld gets the liver. So the main factor for allocating livers is short-term mortality risk. We will give the next liver to a 66-year-old with a meld of 35 before we give it to a 22-year-old with a meld of 25, right? Because the 35 meld is higher. Um, of course, that's not going to produce the most qualities because the 22-year-old is going to live a lot longer with that liver than the 66-year-old. So we, this is the way we do livers. We, we, we honor justice because we're giving uh, livers to the person who most urgently needs them, but we're not really maximizing utility because the people that are getting livers are not the people that would most benefit from them. And this is the thing that's really hot in the United States. There's another way in which we um, have a real justice problem. This is, this is what everybody's talking about in organ allocation right now in the United States is geography. We have... Um, broken up the organ allocation system in the United States into 11 uh, regions, and then those are, those are subdivided down into 58 OPO distribution areas. So we really don't have one list, like the, the U.S. organ allocation list or the U.S. liver allocation list. We have 58 separate lists. There's a sort of a separate list for each country. So I told you that the highest meld, the, the patient with the highest meld gets the next liver. Well, actually, what it really is, it's the, it's, it's the patient with the highest meld in any individual OPO. Um, well, there is massive variability um, across from district to district. So this is just a color map. Um, basically, if you look down right here in the south um, of the United States, those, those are very low uh, MELD score numbers. You don't have to be that sick to be able to get, to get a liver transplant relatively quickly in that area. 
The blue, like so if you look at Los Angeles or New York, um, you have to be really, really sick before you're going to get to the top of the liver transplant list in those areas. Um, just to give you a quick example, India, if you look at the median meld, in Indiana, patients are getting transplant, liver transplants with a meld of just 20. You're not going to get a liver transplant until you have a meld of 40 in Los Angeles. You have to be really sick. So the wait list varies from days in some areas to years in other areas. I don't know if you, people probably have iPhones here. Um, well, you may remember Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, um, got a liver transplant. Apple, of course, is in uh, Silicon Valley in Northern California. He was not, he was sick, but he wasn't sick enough to get to the top of the organ transplant list in Northern California. So he um, added himself to the list in Memphis, Tennessee, where, um, again, there's a shorter wait time, and he got the liver relatively quickly. In that, in that area. Um, the reason, of course, by the way, is this is actually our unhealthy, going back to Rebecca's talk, this is our unhealthiest area of the United States. Um, and so there's a much higher incidence of motor vehicle accidents, much higher incidence of stroke. There's, a, there's just more donors in those areas of the country. Um, so we're having a big debate on geographical priority. There are reasons, right? There are utilitarian reasons to limit organs to only be allocated within the district rather than sending them out of the district to somebody who has a higher MELD score, right, because organs can't last that long. Um, and if people knew that when they donate an organ, it might end up being flown to Miami uh, or San Diego, then they might be less willing to donate. Um, but, but the idea, though, is that there are organs who are not going to the person who most urgently needs it. So we're not maximizing utility. Um, there are reasons uh, also if you look from a justice perspective, um, for why we should not have these geographical variations. It is a national system, and geography is not really a morally relevant factor. So it's not really clear that we can justify these variations. Let me just turn to lungs, right? Again, we have a shortfall of, actually, I, I took this number straight off the UNOS website. It looks, looks like the transplant exceeds the, the candidates. That's just because it's a snapshot, and actually, I didn't realize that it's a snapshot in time. Um, like with livers, wait time doesn't matter much, um, but the goal here is to reduce wait list deaths, deaths while you're on the wait list. You get a lung allocation score, one to 100. Most of the weight that determines your score is based on your risk of death without transplant, in other words, medical urgency, again. Um, some of the weight is based on the probability of your post-transplant survival, or you might say utility. So you have to be sick right, to qualify for a lung transplant, but you can't be too sick because then it's not likely that you're going to live that long. So there's sort of what you might call a, a transplant window for lung transplants, right? So if you're too healthy, then it's not urgent that you would need this lung transplant. Um, but on the other hand, if you're too sick, then uh, the part of the score that is based on utility is going is to disqualify you. So you kind of have this, this narrow window in here. Um, so we basically give lungs to the patient that needs it most, um, but we still factor in utility a little bit by disqualifying patients that are too sick to benefit. Um, right, we, want, we want to avoid futile transplants. That honors utility. Um, but at the same time, we are, these people might benefit. So it's not literally futile. These people might benefit from a liver transplant, so, and we are denying them uh, a transplant, so we are treating them inequitably. So I covered livers and lungs. Let me just turn to kidneys and end with that. 
Um, again, giant shortfall between the number of people seeking a kidney transplant and the number of transplants that we're able to do. Before 2014, kidneys were based 100% purely on wait time, right? So the person who got onto the list first got the next kidney. You're waiting the longest, you get the next kidney. Really elevates fairness over utility. It's, it's, just, it's just queue time. Um, and of course, we can do that with kidneys because unlike with all the other organs, there's an alternative renal replacement therapy other than a kidney transplant, which these people are on dialysis. Um, so we don't have to factor in an urgency factor like we just saw with livers and lungs. But there has been a big, big push for more focus on utility. One key reason for that is because this is most of your donors, right? Most of your donors are young, um, and increasingly most of the recipients are old. So we're giving young kidneys to old people, and that just struck a lot of people like we're not getting the most value out of the scarce kidneys that we have. So after 2014, there's been a lot more emphasis on utility. Basically, the, what we're doing now is we're giving the better kidneys to the healthier patients. Um, so what we're doing is we're scoring both the donors and the recipients. So every kidney, the kidney itself, gets a kidney donor profile index. We, we estimate how long is this kidney from the donor uh, going to survive as compared to other kidneys. And then the candidates, the, the recipients, are, are going to get an estimated post-transplant survival score, which estimates how long they're going to live if they get the kidney transplant. So having scored both of those two things, we are going to give the top 20% of kidneys to the patients likely to live the longest. Um, but there's the, and that's obviously utilitarian, right? We're trying to get the most life years we can out of the limited number of kidneys that we can. Absolutely, though, we are limiting that focus on utility. We're not doing strict, strict age matching, because right, it's only the top 20%. We could go just linearly um, and just say, we're just going to give young to young and old to old. We don't do that. Um, the whole remaining of 80% of the organs, other than the top 20, is still allocated based on wait time. So let me just stop there. We, we, we are um, constantly calibrating this balance between a focus on utility and a focus on fairness or justice. Um, this is just a screenshot from the UNOS website. There are so many, uh, all, the allocation scoring systems for every single organ are constantly under re-review. Um, and there's constantly new uh, task force meetings uh, re-tinkering with, with the way that we score these things. But in general, um, because this gap is, is increasingly widening, there's, there's sort of a growing emphasis that if we can't get more organs, then we should at least get more value out of the limited organs that we have. So if anything, in terms of a trend, there's a slight move toward putting a little bit more weight on the utility side of the scale instead of the fairness justice side of the scale. Thank you.